Welcome everybody to our <clears throat> second and final Conscious Parenting Masterclass. So we, um, we had a few more things we wanted to share and we appreciate the feedback and request for input from those that, uh, that emailed us or texted. And um, we're gonna address uh, some of the topics and then come back to any further questions that you have. So the first topic tonight is building connection. So we, we mentioned building connection at length in our, in our first presentation. And um, there was a request for additional information, additional feedback um, around helping them to versus getting them to. So just some thoughts that we wanted to share. Um, you know, kind of high level question that we wanna be thinking about is when, when we're in a situation feeling this tension between wanting to get them to versus thinking about helping them to, it's oftentimes, um, as we mentioned also, this is really, a, a, parenting is ultimately about the self-work. So there is a, you know, life is busy and in the moment we're trying to get things done and trying to keep the house and, and life somewhat manageable and organized. And there's a tendency to want to move to get them to, because that makes, keeps things organized and keeps things moving along. But if we really want to help them to, um, and the other way to phrase it is, are we, are we really ready to do the self-work or are we just looking to move things along? If we're really looking to do the self-work, then we pause and reflect on what is the best way to help the child grow. And when we're remembering that this is for the sake of the child, it's not just to close out our day and check the checklist and you know, put everything in a neat bow, um, which by the way, when, when that's our objective, it never ends up being a neat bow, right? The, 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 if the objective is to get through the day, it is about doing the self-work. It is about asking the question, how can I help them? Because ultimately that will develop a healthy child and that child will show up to, to do what needs to get done, but in the healthiest way. So not it's- through the day, not just getting through the day. Right, not helping just our child. helping our child. Um, so it, it is about asking the questions, um, both within ourselves and asking in our minds, what can I do to help the child? And even asking the child, how can I help you? How can I help you clean your room? How can I help you um, make your lunch? How can I help you get to bed and, and help you, uh, you know, comfortably adjust to, to uh, you know, falling asleep more easily. So when we, when we think about that and, and invite our child to be part of that journey, um, that all of that is about building connection. And when we build a connection, we achieve the objective we're trying to accomplish here. So, um, well said. I just wanna add that, um, even just asking ourselves the question, you know, we talked about grades last time. So how can I help my child care about their grades or help my child get better grades? Or how can I help my child be responsible for what their room looks like? Just saying it in that way, how can I help my child? First of all, it moves it away from it being a tactic. So if you are um, consciously parenting or, whatever it is you're doing in your parenting, if you're doing it as a tactic to make your life easier, um, you're going about it in a way that's going to be manipulative and coercive. 
your life will get easier as a result of caring about your child in this way and consciously being aware of the triggers, like what is going on for you when your child doesn't want to do this? Why do you feel like you have to get them? You know, um, how can I help my child care about brushing their teeth versus how can I get my child to? So um, when you say, how can I help? I keep repeating that because those words, if you keep asking them, it actually, when they did studies of the brain, where somebody was saying that out loud and thinking about things, the get went on one path of the brain and the help went on another path of the brain. So you're actually going to come up with helpful solutions when you word it that way and when you think about it that way. So that's why it's really important to have that as your mantra. Like, do I want to get my child to? And just listen to your own words. You'll hear it fall out of your mouth. Um, I need to get them too, as opposed to I need to help them. Okay. I would say also just, you know, building on that, if you think about, imagine if you tell, ask your child that question, how can I get you to clean your room? Or ask your child, how can I help you clean your room? Or how can I help you help you clean your room? Right? Just think about how the child receives that information. So, okay. And we'll, we'll be happy to take questions, you know, as we go along or at the end. So let's talk a little bit about sibling rivalry. Um, I'm just going to tell you right out of the gate, I grew up, I'm one of 11 children. And um, the oldest four in our family are boys. I'm, I'm the second to oldest. So I have one older brother and two brothers right after me. And we were all fairly close in age. Um, it was a constant, um, literally battle. Literally, I mean, I got battle scars everywhere. Um, we were forever fighting. Um, and when, I, when we were blessed to have children, one of the things that really rankled me really triggered me is my children fighting. And it still triggers me, but thank God for Dina and for conscious parenting. Um, we've come up with some, you know, we've, I've been able to shift some of the thinking around it, be more conscious of the triggers and so on. Um, and, and really to understand what's really going on. So children fight, that is part of the childhood experience. They don't get along with each other. Well, I shouldn't say they don't get along with each other, but there's there's bickering, there's fighting, there's petty stuff. So let's try to understand what's going on with the child. Um, and then we'll talk about, sorry. And then we'll talk about what's going on with the parent and try to think about how we can navigate this. So first of all, what does the child need? In general, what does a child need? And what does a child need when there's some rivalry going on? So the first thing a child needs is safety. Um, they need to know that whatever's going on, they are anchored and that they're anchored with their parent. Um, understand that the child may need guidance. This is a child, whether the child is two years old or 10 years old, they're, they're learning 15, life. 18. They're learning life. They're learning how to navigate life. And part of navigating life, even as adults, we are constantly negotiating. We're negotiating big negotiations, small negotiating negotiations, we're constantly learning how, we're, we're constantly negotiating our way through life. Children don't necessarily have those tools to negotiate. And they may need guidance in how to negotiate whatever it is that they're struggling with, with a sibling. Um, you wanna talk a little bit about the co-regulation? Cause I think you, you're on that a little better than me. Yeah, but maybe um, you could talk about the orange story. You know? Oh, the orange story. The orange story is a great story that I, um, I actually learned it when I was doing some training around um, 
around uh, a conflict resolution for adults. Um, huh? Sibling rivalry. Sibling rivalry, yes. Resolution. So dad walks into the house and he sees uh, his two children fighting over an orange. And this one's the last like, one. They uh, both want it. I want it. You want it. They're fighting. They're fighting. And dad comes in and he's rankled by their fighting for whatever reason. And he says, okay, that's it. I'm going to solve this. And he takes a knife and he takes the orange and he cuts the orange in half. Or he takes it away. No one gets the orange. Right. So, but in this story, he cuts the orange and gives half to one child and one and half to the other child. And one child proceeds to take the pulp out of the orange and take the peels and begin to prepare to uh, cover them in chocolate and do whatever you do with chocolate covered orange peels. And the other one proceeds to take the, the, the orange out of the peel, throws the peel away and begins to eat the orange. So each child was fighting over what they wanted and they, they didn't even talk about what it was that they were fighting over. And had they, had they had tools to learn how to negotiate and converse with each other, they both would have ended up with more than they ended up under the circumstances. So dad could have been more helpful in helping the children have a discussion with each other. So that's where guidance can be helpful and empowering uh, the, the children with tools to understand what they're negotiating, to understand the other person. Again, we're, we're teaching children all of these tools, empathy, negotiation, um, and so on. So talk a little bit about co-regulation. So um, we're talking about getting triggered. So your kids could be having a bicker, bickering. And then if you come from a world where fighting was scary or you had decided when you were younger, it was so noisy, the fighting, you're never having fighting in your house. You're gonna be super triggered by this fighting. And that's just going to ramp up the energy of that fight because you're going to be like, enough, no fighting. You know, you're going to bring your energy to that fight as opposed to, you know, if you could ignore the fighting and let them, usually kids will duke it out and they'll figure it out for themselves. Or if it's not safe and you need to get in there, make sure that when you're getting in there, you know, obviously if it's a dangerous situation, you don't have time to make sure you're regulated and take a deep breath. you got to pull the knife, the scissor, the hot glue gun, whatever it is that's going on. You know, you have to use your, your executive function skills and make a decision. But if you are coming in there to help and you're coming in there stressed about the fighting or something's triggering you about a certain kid that's fighting, because you think that's a kid that's super manipulative and you have a story that you're telling yourself about that child, you're going to come in there and really make things worse because you've already told yourself a story about that child or about this experience. So when you're coming in to help, it's calm. It's with breath work first. And you're thinking about, okay, this is not about me. This is about them. And then you come in there and you're like, you know, with your calm energy, geez, you know, sheesh, it looks like you guys are really having a hard time here. Um, let's say we can do, sometimes you come into a fight and somebody's already sad or somebody's already been hit and smacked. And often when one person is smacked, it's because they smack the other, you know, so we're not in a school situation, I might do it differently, but because these are my children, these are your children, we really want to be sure not to take sides. So if you, if there's a one child who's really, really hurt, you want to take care of that hurt child, but you don't want to at the same time, make the other child feel like crap, you know, like, oh, because then you're just feeding 
often the insecurity that caused the fight in the beginning, which is that that other child does feel less than maybe or jealous of. So you don't want to feed. You want to go in there and say, oh, it looks like you really hurt. Are, are both of you okay? Like what happened here? So try not to, as much as you're looking after the child that got hurt, do it in a way that doesn't make the other child feel. And I, th- I actually think I would give this, I give this advice in school too. You don't want to, the other child probably feels bad about themselves. You know, these are your children, you know, and again, in a school setting, it might be a kid that's oblivious to somebody. So you might have a little bit more complicated, but when it's your own children, you really have to go in there and not take sides so that they don't, because very, very often um, children, their fighting comes from, our relationship with them. So if they're feeling safe and secure with us and they feel like they're, they are, um, they've had time with us, then they less fighting happens. It's not, it's not magic because there's so many complicated personalities that can come into play and kids might really just want that toy all the time, or they don't know how to communicate that. But often if you take the time, the child that's constantly bickering it's probably the child you least want to spend time with because they are the most argumentative and the one that's rankling you and the one that is, you feel like doesn't deserve your time. It's exactly the kid you need to be spending time with um, and the hardest child for you to spend time with. So um, be filling them up. That really, really helps them um, when you're trying to maintain that. Any other common suggestions that people want to add in here on the sibling rivalry piece? I'll just add one thing about um, talking about filling up the children. So one of our children, we had this conversation, um, especially as the child got older, we were able to talk about it more openly, uh, this idea of having enough chips, right? So if you want to go play, if you want to gamble or play poker, you need to have chips. If you don't have any chips, you can't play the game. So we had, you know, there's a, a reservoir of emotional chips. And when the chips are down, then, then you feel out of sort. The, so with this child, what we understood, what we discovered is this child needs uh, physical affection. And, and sometimes when this child was out of sorts, we would give the child a hug and say, do you feel, feel filled up now? And it, it, you know, even this child is older now, but it's, it's part of our conversation. We still, we still have that conversation and, it's, and you can fill up your child's chips we know that there are different love languages to understand what your child's needs are. Sometimes it's spending time with you, you know, taking the child when you're going grocery shopping, take one child with you. You know, sometimes it's picking the child up from school and going out to lunch with them. Sometimes it's uh, a child needs a gift, whatever. It's, it's important, a hug uh, and I love you, whatever it is, understanding what your child is, but helping the child fill up so that they don't need to express whatever angst they're experiencing in other contexts. Um, just on that note, you know, we're buying our kids things all the time anyway. So just offer it, you know, when you buy, oh my, I love this snack, just say it, say, I bought it. Cause I love you, you know, just keep expressing that, you know, you buy your kids new shoes. You have to buy them shoes anyway. Their shoes are ratty and they have holes and they don't fit them. Oh, mommy. You know, even if you don't get a thank you say, look what I bought you because I love you. Like really make, you know, take the time to, um, to express that. So they really start associating that that you are consciously aware of their existence and you're doing things for them as opposed, not that that is the sign of love, but it's, you know, it's just, I am thinking about you all the time. 
Okay, so this is, we touched already a little bit on some of the stuff that the parent needs, but this was primarily about what the child needs. Let's talk a little bit about what the parent needs. So I want to just open up this section with saying something that we we mentioned. We spoke a lot about this. I want to mention just a good good one line that we mentioned in the first presentation, and that is that it's happening in front of me, it's not happening to me, especially when it comes to children fighting with each other. And if you are triggered from that, just remember it's happening in front of you, it's not happening to you. Take a deep breath, recognize what the trigger is. In other words, that it's not the kids fighting, it's whatever it's bringing up inside of you. And that could be, you want the quiet because you want to work, it could be the quiet because you just like quiet. It could be because you're remembering something from your childhood, whatever it is. Can you ignore the situation? In other words, not ignoring it because you're passively ignoring it, but ignoring it because that's for the best, for the benefit of the child, for the children, like to let them figure it out. So then ignore it. Don't, don't get involved, right? Just because two kids are, are duking something out. Again, if they're beating each other with hammers, you obviously have to step in. But um, that's what we did with my siblings. We rolled down a flight of stairs with a hammer somewhere in between us. Some people ended up with stitches, but right, that's when a parent needs to step in. But if they're just arguing and screaming at each other, let them figure it out. Not always, but it's okay. That's how they they learn. Um, Somebody might lose the argument, come crying to you, and then, then you have to step in and help that child. Can you walk away from a situation and say, hey, look, you go, it looks like you guys are having a hard time with this, but I think, I, I believe that you guys can figure this out. Empower them without needing to get involved. Um, when a child comes complaining to you, you know, so-and-so did this and this to me, you can validate what they're experiencing without, without taking a side. And it's very important because you don't want to become, you don't want to get involved in, in refereeing an actual fight. It's not not Shabbos table. We Shabbos table. Siblings and I laugh about that, but unfortunately, that's what it was. There was fighting going on, and uh, maybe there was some dysregulation. But anyway, um, the uh, the idea is that. You don't, you don't want to get involved in negotiating who's, who did this and who was right. Once you do that, you're going to lose. You're going to, you're going to lose because the other child is going to feel um, hurt. You want the children to figure it out. So when one child comes complaining to you, you know, so-and-so did this to me, said such and such. I'm sorry that, that, that they said that. I'm sorry that it, may, it, it hurt you. You're not, you're not saying that the other person was right or wrong. You're just validating what they're feeling. And that's what the child needs. And then you can say, do you want some help, some ideas on how you can, can, can deal with this? Um, if the child says no, or if you sense that the child just wants your validation, leave it at that. Just leave it at that. You don't, there's no mitzvah to, to figure it out. Let the, child, let the child have their moment. Sometimes just like adults, sometimes just need a hug, just need validation. Sometimes a child in a fight doesn't actually need a solution. They just want to know that you care about them and things, you, you know, they will let things go. As children get older and certain personalities, no, they want, they want that toy. They want, they want their right to whatever it is that, okay, so you have to empower them to give them some negotiating tools, give them some ideas on how you would address a situation like that if you were having some kind of adult conflict on that level. 
Um, if the child is not looking for solutions, as we mentioned in the last class as well, it doesn't mean that you never have to give them solutions. It doesn't mean you never have to empower them. Save the solutions for later. Come back to them the next day and say, you know, when you had that conflict with your sibling, you know, what do you think, how do you think this might have helped you? You know, how do you think if this approach might have worked and so on? And then they're in, they're, their brain is not, you know, flaring up, their, their uh, amygdala is not firing, and they're actually able to, um, to hear what you're, what you're saying. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Um, Let me give this example of computer time. Oh, <laughs> Okay, so there's also, um, I think that, oh. It's just an example of where. Right, so if kids are fighting, this happens in our house a lot, kids are fighting over who had more time or whose turn is it on the computer, you're welcome to you know, step in and because they're they can't figure it out or they're coming to you, it's my turn. You know, okay, you guys. So there's one thing to like threaten and be like, you're never going on computer again and to be all you know dysregulated and yelling and screaming and then you've just ruined it. But you could, there could be consequences. It could be like, you know, when kids are fighting over a toy, you could, you could say like, I'm putting the toy here until we figure out what's going on with the toy. Like, so how do you wanna figure this out? Is it 10 minutes, 10 minutes? No, I want the toy the whole time I had it. Okay, why do you think you should have it the whole time? Well, I'm the one who started playing with the toys and he grabbed it from me. Oh, is that what happened? Okay, so, and then the other kid said, no, but I had it yesterday and I was planning on having it today. You know, these kids get really creative. So you really have to kind of work that through with what is, you know, sometimes it takes these, kids have these delusions about what is owed to them. And well, I want to say also that just in, in that example, so I feel like that kind of example, you actually are getting into the negotiation with them and, and something that we found, again, remember that as adults, we're going to have disagreement with others about what is right and what is wrong. And just because we think something is right and something is wrong, it doesn't mean we're going to get what we want. And we actually know today that it's not about right and wrong. It's about figuring out how to get along, right? So leaving the, putting the toy aside and saying, look, here's the toy. It's going to sit on this counter. And when you guys can figure it out, you can continue playing with it and they'll figure it out. They're going to move away, not always, but oftentimes they'll move away from right and wrong to saying, how do we figure this out? We, right. we want to play with the toy. So I'm going to step away from it needing to be, you know, because I'm entitled to, to saying, I'd rather get the toy. We know that old saying that children prefer rather to be, be happy, happy than, than to be right. Let them figure it out. And that's a great tool for children mm -hmm. to, to develop in order to be able to um, learn those negotiating tools for later okay. in life. Anyone have any comments or questions? Okay. So then there's the, you know, the insults that fly back and forth. And again, we get super triggered. I hate my brother. I hate my sister. No, you don't hate your brother and your sister, which just really escalates the situation because um, there's another need that's, that's not being heard behind the very, very strong reactions to things. So um, validate, you know, it feels like you hate your sibling. I know how hard it is. And, you know, just validate that emotion that they're having. Like it, it's, and it's really hard because you're, you feel like you're um, giving credence to something that would be the opposite of the values in your home.
um, get curious about it. Like, um, I, I hear you that you, you hate, like, why do you want to say that this is, you know, we're in a family together and we're mommy loves everybody and you know, really want to understand that. Um, um, and then help them access what's really going on. Like, he's just always so mean to me, or, um, he, he gets, you know, he finishes, um, his homework quicker and then he gets to play. So there's, there's usually some kind of jealousy or emotion going on underneath or, or some co competitive feelings of inadequacy that are at underneath that little iceberg of I hate, right? There's a whole other stuff going on underneath. And, um, and then, you know, hold space for it, like be okay with the feeling that they feel in, in their brains right now. Um, they're feeling hate for that sibling. You can be okay with that. You know, it doesn't mean that they're going to you know, not talk to each other when they're older. Don't, again, we talked about this in the first class is like going straight to that catastrophizing um, fear. And like, that's gonna, that's not gonna allow you to hold space is when you're getting into that whole future of like, what will be. I heard something really um, interesting today is that if you think about most negative emotions um, have to do with the past and the future and positive emotions have to do with the present. So, um, um, regret is about the past, right? That's always going to be about the past. Anxiety is always going to be about the future. But when you're here and you're right here and you're right now, you can have a lot more just access to your happy feelings and then your um, prefrontal cortex and your better thinking. Um, and then sometimes we do have to make adjustments at home. Maybe there are things going on where children are rightfully feeling that they're getting the raw end of the stick. I've had, um, you know, bedrooms that needed to be changed because there was one kid who was perpetually not allowing the other kid to, you know, be themselves because one kid was super clean and the other kid was super dirt messy and it wasn't fair. So of course they're going to feel like they hate each other because one kid is like, you are invading my space and I, I need things to look organized and other kids, like you're always down my back about everything. So you might need to make adjustments at home, like be practical about it. It's not only a, I wish and I hope and a validation of some concept, but there might be practical things you could change in the home to deal with um, what's going on. But again, it wouldn't be at the expense of one child versus the other. And if it felt like that, you could say, we're going to do six months like this and six months like that, or two weeks like this and two weeks like that. You know, you have to um, make things, um, I don't want to say fair because life's not fair, but as fair as we can make it, because if we have control of the situation, why not make it feel more fair? Right. I, I, it's kind of what's coming up for me is this idea that we oftentimes will say when a child says it's not fair, we answer them. Life's not fair. And we, we stop there. Like we stop there that that's really like a guiding principle in life, life, that life is not fair instead of saying, wait, okay, yes, life's not fair. But can we make adjustments to make the, if a child is expressing that kind of angst, any kind of angst, but definitely that kind of angst at that level, um, it's worth looking at how we can make adjustments to make life feel a little more fair for them, a little bit more to help reduce some of that, that angst that a child is feeling. And maybe it doesn't, it's not about fair, but it does it feel like mommy could be doing something more to help you? Or does it feel like you could be more comfortable in this situation? So move it away from that argument. And again, I think in order to do that, we have to really go back to getting curious, is really understanding what's 
what's causing that strong emotional expression, right? It's not, let's not be frightened from the expression, but what's causing it? What's, what's really going on with the child? Let's try to understand where they're coming from. And again, like before, it's not always having the conversation in the moment, but it's finding the time to make time for that conversation, have that conversation, find out what's really cooking underneath, and then see how you can either help the child with those feelings or and or and make make space for it and make some adjustments. And and this would go for I hate my teacher, I'm dumb, I'm stupid, um, all of those um, super triggering statements that our children make. Extreme statements. Extreme statements that our children make and trigger us into thinking, catastrophizing and being worried about the future. So the same goes for all of those. We we don't have to fear them. Talking to myself, obviously. Oh. Okay, um, some just talking about teens and tweens for a moment. Um, so, okay, wait, what are you saying? Okay, um, so the, the teen brain is at a really, I mean, we all, it wasn't so long ago maybe that we were teens and tweens, but we actually know this scientifically that the teen brain is just rapidly developing. It's neither here nor there. It's that liminal space. It's, it's just, it's like, think about when you um, you've cleaned your house, it's not Pesach yet. That's really stressful, right? Um, you have prepared for a party, you've cleaned, your guests haven't come yet. You know, just these spaces we find ourselves in, we're st we've studied for a test, we haven't taken the test yet, that space we've prepared. So that's where your teens live constantly. They live there for three, four, five years. Um, I just also want to tell you that when we say teens today, I want to say that it's like 11, 12, 13, 14, 11 to 15. By the time they're 16, they're not even, they're like way more mature already. Like I find it starts much earlier today, the teenagehood. And if you've connected to your children, what people talk about like teenage behavior, by 16, they're already much more, if you've kept up the good relationship, you're, you're really gonna get much less of the pushback. It's really 12, 13, 14 are like the, toughest years in my experience. Um, so um, just to remember and have compassion for what they're going through with their brains and they're like, feel like adults, they look, start looking like adults and they, they feel like they should have all this, um, this, you know, agency over their life, but you're still the parent and it's, it's, it's very complicated for them. They also trigger us differently than they trigger us when they're younger. It's, it's a different set of triggers just pointing that out because we, we recall our teen years as an adult and realize how angsty that was for us. And we want to make it all right. For we them. want to make it all right. And we want it to be better for them, but then suddenly they show up and they're teenagers as well. So just important to remember that. Also, like, I'm, I'm going to be super like um, practical and maybe it's, you can't relate. If you could relate, you could drop me a, a, a thumbs up, but like they're, they start getting um, like pimply skin and their odors change and their, their breath changes and like they smell differently. And it's like, just gets physically more difficult to think they're adorable. And that is really 
are you laughing, Noah? That is really the time to just lean in and 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 it's it, I think if you have this awareness, then you'll know what's sometimes what's triggering you. It's like just the smell of like sports. It's like oh. so um, and then when they ask you something, you want to say no and no. I say I'm telling no to a child over there who wants pickles. No, 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 no. Okay. Um they um they're experiencing real discomfort, but don't mistake that for stupid. They're not stupid. You're teenagers. So they might have all this, you know, these comments or these ideas um, because they're figuring things out, but they're super, super smart. And they're, you know, they're not there yet, but they have like, they're really worthwhile to listen to them. If you, if you can connect and listen to them, they have a lot to offer. And now I will say something, uh, something else that I think it's important to remember that just because a child is no longer seven, they may be 13, they still need your, they still need that connection. And it may, it may not be, it may not show up in the same way as it does with the seven-year-old that just wants to snuggle with you, but they do need, they need your, your connection. Um, and it shows up in different ways and you have to get more creative about it. But your child, your teenager needs connection, even if they're constantly pushing you aside. Um, Tanya's downstairs. Hang on one second, please. Um, okay, now there is a temptation, a temptation to, some people have temptation to lecture all the time, but definitely as children get older and they, um, we believe that now they are smart and they are capable of really learning and all they need to change their behavior in life is a really good parenting lecture from their parenting, from their parent, but that's going to change everything. So a couple of things, be aware. Number one, and this was also for me, a big light bulb. Shut um, up. Children, they, by the no, time- I'm saying that to you. I'm <laughs> saying that to yourself. By the, time, by the time your children are young teenagers, they've heard it all. They've seen it all. They know what is important to you. Believe, believe in them that they already know what's important to you. And they know what you're going to say. They've heard it before. They've heard it in a short lecture, in a long lecture. They've heard it. And trust, trust that they, they know that and resist the temptation to lecture because it's not going to help. That's not what they need. What do they need? They need validation. You want to talk about validation? What does it mean to validate? Child is going through something. They're expressing something. We spoke before. You're asking them questions. You try and understand what's going on. Um, we're afraid to say, I'm really sorry that you're going through that because we are afraid that if we, if, if they're actually going through that and that's their experience and that remains their experience, oh my gosh, what is this child going to turn into? We're afraid we're, we're giving that validation is, is given, is giving them permission. That's what we fear. So, um, 
my sister was telling me that she was in her teenage daughter's room and in the garbage she found like, like eight icy um, wrappers. So never mind that she took them and that she's eating trash at night. And she she's like, Ma, she's like, don't worry. I did the same thing when I was your age. So, and I was so like, I said to my sister, like, that's so cool that you were not afraid to say that to her, that you didn't need to lecture her. You know how unhealthy ICs are to have, you know, to eat sugar all night and, and you're going to, and, and, and never mind, you know, just all the different things that could have come out of her mouth sideways about um, eating at night or, or, or your health or your weight or any of that. And she just said, Oh, I used to do the same thing. And like, just like takes the kid down. And then if the kid's feeling bad about it, she can feel bad about it from her own experience. And this is um, something I want to talk about, which is really, really um, very important, which is that especially with teens, we become very um, worried about the, and, and even with younger kids, like you can apply this overall. We're, we get worried about certain things for them. So we think we're going to warn them about it. So for example, we are worried that our kids will be bullied if they're, if they wear something weird or if they walk out looking cuckoo. So instead of a bully bullying them, we bully them. We end up bullying our kids in fear that they'll be bullied. So two things happen as a result of this. Number one is you disconnected from your child because you bullied them. But number two is you also took away your child's inner ability to sense what they're feeling. And what do I mean by this? If I tell my child, you know, if you walk out in that dress, people will make fun of you. Then first of all, I've just bullied her. Second of all, I don't know if it's true. Third of all, if people start making fun of her and she walks into class, then instead of saying, so what will happen is she'll be like, my mother was right. And it becomes about like over here, my mother's right. And she won't know whether she feels bad about the, the dress or not. But if you don't say anything to her and she walks in the class and you might've in your mind knew she was going to get bullied and she comes home from school and says, oh my God, ma, I wore this dress. I love it. And everyone made fun of me. And you know what? I didn't care. Or everyone made fun of me and it hurt, it hurt my feelings so bad. Then it came from within. So the child was able to connect to what is actually happening inside of them um, instead of, um, instead of a voice from outside. Does that make sense? So this is like things like weight, like if, um, if a child, you know, if a child is walking out in, in something that it, just anything, um, I had this experience with, with, um, you know, let's say your kid is, is offering to, um, to play music for something. And you know, they don't know that music, that, that piano. And you're like, listen, if you don't practice, okay. Then if they don't practice now, they feel bad. They're like, oh, mom was right. Or, you know, it doesn't feel good not to practice. So it comes from that is that voice that speaks to them from within. And that's like a huge, huge, um, um, kind of shift shift in thinking about how you interact with your child. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. So, um, okay. So just, um, just the last thing we kind of, oh, first of all, are there any like comments or questions? Are we even looking in the chat box? Where's the chat box? Yeah, it's up here. Where's the chat? Any chats? Okay. No chats. Okay. Anyone have one, want to unmute themselves or, or have anything to say or add? Um, 
Connie, I can't hear you if you're talking. Are you talking to us? I'm asking now if he has anything he wants to add. And maybe this little girl has something Hello. she wants to add. She's yeah. in love with the bathing suit and she's very excited for the summer. Nice. <laughs> oh, and a cast. Oh, no. You okay? Did you get a boo boo? Let's do it here. Okay. Um, you don't know, there's nothing on it. You don't have to share anymore. Oh. Okay. So, um, so as far as just um, boundaries with your teen and just being appropriate. So we talked about some of the things, maintaining empathy. It's, it's hard. It doesn't mean that you're going to, even if you validate, you can validate that they hate having a curfew and you can still have a curfew. Okay. So you can validate that it's hard for them and still hold that boundary and say like, this is, this is how it is in our house. This is what we're doing. Um, allow for natural consequences. So if your child gets into trouble, don't try to rescue them. You're not doing them any favors. Um, if your child gets in a car accident and has to, the insurance goes up, figure out with them how that gets paid. Like these are, and, and again, like doing it without the energy, without the spite, without the, I told you so that's where you keep the connection is when you, yeah, it, it sucks. I know. I, I'm so sad that you have to pay this insurance, the money you were hoping to spend on going to Europe this summer or whatever it is. Um, really allowing them to, to absorb the natural consequences, even when it hurts. Because remember, it's happening in front of you. It's not happening to you. And get okay with seeing your teenagers struggle and, and be in their discomfort. Sit with them, get in there with their discomfort, but don't take away their discomfort from them. You're not doing them any favors by rescuing them. Um, you know, be firm, consistent. Consistency is really where the magic takes place, which is like, I know I love you, but no, we're, we're not, I'm not letting you go, go there. I'm not letting you um, do that. And, um, you know, you're going to have, it's better to have a temporarily disappointed teen than a teen that doesn't respect you and keeping to your your firmness with love is going to give that respect. Um, keeping the bigger picture in mind. So like when you're setting a limit, you're setting a limit for a reason because you it's safety or because you're imparting a value to your child. Um, you know, if it's, let's say we don't go out on Friday night, it's Shabbat with our family. Why are you doing that? Um, so take a step back, like they're fetching, they're complaining, this is not fair, but what is that higher goal you're, you're reaching towards is that they will value this. Um, so, um, okay, like Noah wrote, that boundaries don't build walls, they build trust essentially. So um, know where, this is a good one, know where you end and where your teens begin. Um, don't, I mean, enmeshment is like, is, is feeling all their pain and again, validating their pain, but it's, it's, it's part of the experience of growing up. And, um, and if they're popular, if they're, if they come home and tell you a story about how mean someone was, and again, this goes back to that self-work and that triggers you for all these reasons. You want to run to the school and you want to slit someone's throat because they were mean to your child. Remember, like, this is their experience let them have their experience. It's not your experience. You're not making up for high school. 
um, on the other end of lavishing them with things because you think that that's going to somehow change what your experience was as a teenager. It's not. So really, really be clear and do that work and know that you are raising an individual child that needs to go on this journey of life. And it's not, they are not extensions of you. They're not little yous. They are their own people to the good and to the bad. So don't take credit for their, all their goodness and don't, don't fall apart from their failures. Like be hold it's in Yiddish. It's called halt cup, like hold your head. Um, know the differences, um, give respect to get respect. It's super important to, um, I mean, with all of your children, but teenagers are going to pick up on those nuances of how you're speaking to them and you're respecting them. And the, the, the best thing you can do is say, you know, when your child says like, why are you saying it to me like that? Or why are you, you know, they pick up on your moods. It's like, you know what? I don't need to say it like that. Let me try again. Oops. Let me try again. Oops. Let me try again is a great, um, a great other thing you can put on your fridge is, you know, oops, I'm going to try that again. And hopefully you, you teach them, um, with, with, with teenagers, it's super, super tempting to be sarcastic with them or, you know, needle them, belittle all these things. Like if they come naturally to, you really have to work hard on not doing those things, laughing at them. They become super sensitive about things like yesterday was a joke today. It's not. So, and even if you, you made a joke today, cause yesterday they laughed and then they, they blow up about it. Like, Whoa, yesterday you were fine. That's getting on their level. Simply, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you didn't want me to say that, like genuinely, like that's how you know that you're the adult here, right? You don't have to be their friend and get into that pettiness with them. Um, so remember your role, like teens are smart, they're independent and, you know, they're ready to do their own thing, but they still need you. They still need your guidance. They still need your, um, your vision and they still need you to be that strong person for them. Um, and they still need you to know that you support them no matter what you love them unconditionally, even when you're disappointed. And even if they haven't done, you know, even when they've made mistakes, yeah, they're going to have to pay for their mistakes. Yeah. You're going to hold them accountable. Yeah. You still love them. Um, um, it's also really good with all kids actually is to use privileges to your advantage. So, um, you know, yeah, sure. You could go on computer or sure. You could have an, you know, uh, I'm going to, we're going to put you know, extra this or whatever it is, but after you've done this, like there's so many different things that we do for our kids that are just way above and beyond and, and make it, you know, part of like when you fit, not a, it's not a quid pro quo, but it's like, when this is done, sure. When you've cleaned up your room, I'm happy to um, let you watch that video or that movie, or have you, have you done your chores yet? So really hold them accountable. Um, this is really important is not to take things personally um, from children, from teenagers. It, it, it could feel like, you know, one moment they're like cuddling with you and they're your best friend. And then they like lash out at you and it feels so personal, but just remember they're your child. I heard somebody say this, that um, you can be your child's best friend, but you are not your, but your child is not your best friend. Your child is not your best friend. You need to have adult best friends, but you can be your child's best friend if that's what they want for you to be their best friend. So it's really important to remember if you are your child's, if your child is your best friend, that's enmeshment, it's a problem. Um, feel free to argue with me on that. Um, so um, 
I mean, I'm not talking about when you're in your 40s and 50s. I'm talking about when they're still young and developing. Um, it's really important to maintain a teenager's privacy, even if you're, you know, unless there's a danger, a serious danger, do not, you know, don't barge into their room, knock on the door. Even if what's going to, you're going to see on the other side, you're going to catch them at something. I, I don't think it's worth it. Um because you're already like so many steps down the road and you're just making it worse. Really don't go through, don't shuffle through their things. If you're suspicious, unless there's something really, really um, dangerous. dangerous at risk for them, but really respect their privacy, not going through their journal. Um, so um, it, it's really important to, to show them that respect and um, all of these kids, it's, it's super challenging. And, um, I think if we hold cup, halt cup again, we're, um, aware of our own triggers and we are in our thinking brain. We're not catastrophizing. We're not in our fear brain and we're reaching out for help from others, getting other people's opinions about our kids or how to handle situation before we, you know, take it into our own hands. That's, perfectly acceptable too. That's a perfectly acceptable parenting strategy is to ask advice. Um, and, um, what else I think, I mean, that's, that is all I have to share tonight as part two of our parenting. I think we, I think we covered a lot and, um, tell me if anyone has any questions or comments we're here. If you want a private message, you're welcome to do that as well. We'll give everybody a minute. Or you can email. You can email us. Okay, so somebody asked, how do you build resilience in elementary school kids? So, um, I mean, it, it, it takes, it's years of resilience. It's years of telling kids, you can handle this. I think you can work this out yourself. It's years of not rescuing your children. Every time something minor happens, it's years of, you know, it's the, it's the, um, it's the, ed, um, it's years of, of connecting with your child so that they have this really strong, solid foundation of feeling loved and safe. Um, it's years of helping them figure things out. Like when they're super emotional, you say, you know, I had a child today who came home and told me that um, she's a twin and that someone in her class said, she said, I can guess everybody's water bottle. And she said, that's the twins. She's like, that's not the twins. That's mine. She goes, but you guys are the same people. And she said, I blew up at her. We are not the same people. So, um, so I said, oh, oh, wow, that must've been really hard for you to hear, etc." And then She's like, yes. So I said, um, do you think you could have said it in another way? You know, afterwards we talked about it. She's like, no, I, I didn't say it nicely. I said all those things, mommy, but I just didn't say it nicely, but you know what? She needs to hear it. And then, and then afterwards I said, is it true that you guys are the same people? She said, no. So I said, so that's, what's important for you to know is that it's not true. So giving your kids after you validated, giving them the real, like the scoop on how their own self-talk and not considering themselves as victims and not being so um, impressed by what other people think of them. So building those skills around that. Um, resilience is also, ironically, I have read that resilience is built through knowing family stories. Um, this is like so left center, but they said that the kids who did 
the most well, how do you say that? Did. Who did the best yes. after 9-11. And they, the kids in Manhattan who had gone through this like serious trauma all around, they followed these kids for 20 years. And the children who knew the most about their parents, grandparents, where they came from, stories of resilience of their family, they did the best. So broaden your child's world. Tell them about people in the, fa- in the family that have gone through really hard times and made it through. I had a rabbi once tell me, if you have no stories like that about your family, make them up. <laughs> so, so it's really important that your kids feel like they're not just alone. Um, the, they are, that they're part of collective Jewish people. We have hundreds and thousands and millions. Exactly. Exactly. Tales of Tzadikim. I I did a, um, a Ted, an Eli talk on this, like how telling kids stories builds their resilience because it's their story and it's building up who they are from the inside. Um, Okay. So I was wondering how to muster the energy for play. Admittedly, not a playful mom. I find it hard to sit and play, but I know your shirt comes from my own. Okay. Um, Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, I think that there is, okay. So, so the question is like, you know, some moms you see online, they're doing arts and crafts with their kids. And some moms are baking with their kids and some moms are playing with their kids. And then we feel guilty for being not that. I actually just saw a reel on Instagram and had all these things. I'm supposed to be a playful mom. And the woman like pushes it away. And it says, I'm supposed to be an artsy mom. And she pushes it away. And I'm supposed to be a, this mom. And she pushes away and she said, I am perfect just the way I am. So I think that, um, there's no supposed to be just like we don't, our kids are not supposed to be one way. We're not supposed to be one way or the other, other. If you enjoy music, listen to music with your child. If you enjoy drawing, draw with your child. If you enjoy chatting, chat with your child. Um, I don't think that you have to be a play, a playful mom. Like you don't have to get on the floor and play with your child. Maybe you tell jokes together. That's playfulness. Um, I don't know if she said playing or playful. Oh, you do not need to have the energy to play with your child. You do not need to get on the floor and play with your child. If you're good at that, do it. Great. But you can do other things that are enjoyable and playful. You can go in nature together. You can hike, you can bike, you can run. There's so many things. I, I don't imagine you don't mean that. As long as you, when you say play, it doesn't mean playing house and you're the mommy and I'm the baby. And then your child has to bring you soup and you have to say, yum, yum, yum. What flavor? Some people don't have the patience for that. It's okay. You're not ruining your child, but maybe you read your kids' books. Maybe you teach them jokes. Maybe you do puns with them. Um, There could be so many things. Maybe you go on nature walks. So many things you could be doing that is not, um, that's not that. So I think you're okay. As long as you're interacting and engaging and loving. And I think, I think you could also be responsive to what your children are interested in um, without it necessarily needing to be all in. Um, I remember this conversation about while your children are playing, be present around them. So you're still part of the action, but not necessarily on the floor with them. Um, you know, but when you're on your phone, that's not included. <laughs> but somehow reading a book is, you know, or just maybe and, and, you're maybe you're um, maybe even you're working, but you're in the room with them and you're not shushing them away. And you're not sending them away and you're present for them. And the children's interests change. You know, that what they're interested in this year is not what they're interested in next year. And, you know, um, you know, pay attention, listen to the cues, find things to do. 
I'll, I'll just give you an example. It happened today. The, the twins decided that they wanted to start riding their bikes again. The weather's nicer. And uh, I just can't be bothered, but they wanted to go bike riding. So we went bike riding yesterday. Now, can we go bike riding again today? I really didn't want to, but I needed to go to the supermarket to get them some snacks for their lunches. So I said, why don't we ride the bikes to the supermarket? And we did. We went over to the supermarket. I got, I got a, an errand done and they enjoyed it. And they didn't, it took me an extra few minutes. So, I mean, just get and creative. It's, cl- it's close. And it's not close. like yeah. it's, it wasn't it's around long, the corner. Yeah. Anyway. Um, that's the way you're amazing that's all, bike that's riding. Yes, yeah, amazing. Um, anyway, think, you know, just, I, I think the, the two points are don't put so much pressure on, you know, living up to society standards and at the same time, get creative about how you can sure. find things that are interesting for you and still be there with your kids and spending time together. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close out with one. Um, I want to close out with one. Um, just one, one final idea kind of that I think is really powerful for me to, to maintain. And that is that looking at my child as this really gift from Hashem, a beautiful creature that God gave, gave to me, gave to us, um, entrusted us, and that it's their journey that I am here to support. They are a beautiful reservoir of opportunity, potential, Light, love. they are a gift Healing. to humanity, they're a gift to our people, and my job is to be there to support them in that journey, value them as a part of Hashem, that if I can remember that, then I can show up for them the way they need to be. That's my final thought for tonight. Any final thoughts? I'm good. Good. Thank right. you all. Thank, Thank you, you all for, for, coming for joining and us. For joining us, and um, and let us know. Want to do this again? All right, Lila Tov. Good night, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you.